1: Welcome to our Tuesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today I'm continuing to talk about the difference between grace and faith, or actually the balance between grace and faith. And this is my second week of teaching on this, and so I've already covered a lot of material. Let me mention again that I've got this book entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. This is the very first book we ever produced over 20 years ago. And I tell you, this has been a truth that has just changed my life and the lives of many people. we got a lot of different products here we're going to be offering. And I encourage you to please get it. I've already covered a lot of things. But, you know, some people might respond or relate to this better if I say, what is God's part and what is our part? Grace is God's part. Faith is our part. But people have thought that, you know, doing things and saying, God, now I've done this, this, and this, you have to move. They will call that faith. That's not faith. Faith, here's my definition of faith. It is our positive response to what God has already done by grace. Another definition of faith is that faith only appropriates what God has already provided by grace. And if you get outside of those two definitions and you begin to start saying, faith, I'm doing this. Now God has to do this. My faith makes God move. You begin to start saying things like that and that's no longer faith. That's works. That's legalism. And that is the very thing that will stop the power of God. Let me turn over and read this scripture. I referred to it earlier uh, last week when I was teaching on this. But in the book of uh, James and chapter 4, it's talking about grace. And let me read this to you. In James chapter 4, it says in verse 5, Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Grace is dependent upon us humbling ourselves and receiving it as a gift. Grace, by definition, is unearned, undeserved favor. And if you have to do something, if you have to confess the Word, pray, study the Word, go to church, pay your tithes, live holy, etc., and do something in order to get God's grace, then it's not grace. Grace is unearned, undeserved favor. And He gives grace as a gift to those who will just humble themselves And receive it. But if you believe that God is responding to you and it's because of your holiness, your performance in some degree that God is responding to you, then that's not humility. That is you promoting yourself. That's you exalting yourself, thinking that you've earned it, that you've deserved it. And God doesn't give grace to people who are sitting there trying to earn it. IT SAYS IN ROMANS CHAPTER 6 VERSE 23 IT SAYS FOR THE WAGES OF SIN IS DEATH BUT THE GIFT OF GOD IS ETERNAL LIFE ETERNAL LIFE IS A GIFT IT'S SOMETHING THAT YOU HAVE TO RECEIVE THAT YOU HAVE TO HUMBLE YOURSELF AND RECEIVE YOU CAN'T EARN IT AND THE MOMENT YOU START TRYING TO EARN IT THEN IT'S NO LONGER A GIFT AND RELIGION BASICALLY IS PREACHING THAT YOU'VE GOT TO BE HOLY AND WORTHY I COULDN'T TELL YOU THE THOUSANDS OF PEOPLE THAT HAVE COME TO ME And they say, I'm asking God to heal me. They believe that God can heal. That's the reason that they're coming and they're asking for prayer. But then they start saying, I just don't feel worthy. I just don't feel like I've done enough. You know what they're doing? They're saying it's not a gift. They're saying that you've got to be worthy. You've got to earn it. You've got to live up to some standard. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. If you are promoting yourself, if you are believing that somehow or another you've got to be worthy of these miracles and blessings of God, then you are in pride. You are promoting yourself. You have to humble yourself. So I've been talking about this. And on our program yesterday, we were talking about how that in creation, God created man last on the very end of the sixth day. And then immediately after man was created, he entered into this rest. I started this actually last Friday talking uh, from Hebrews chapter 4 that there is a rest for the people of God. And it talks about how God entered into rest. Not because God was tired, but it everything was complete. It was done. And when he created man, man immediately entered into this place of completion to where God had anticipated every need that they would ever have. And he just He he didn't have to say, oh, God, please give me air to breathe. God had already created the air. Oh, God, give me food to eat. God had already created the food. Oh, God, give me water to drink. God had already created all of the water. Oh, God, make the temperature right. God had created the perfect temperature. God had anticipated everything that man would ever need. And not only just need, but just desires. He created a beautiful world. He created all of the plants, all of the animals. He created more than we could ever need. He created a superabundance just for our pleasure so that we could be blessed by it. He was blessed by it, but he also put us there so that we could be blessed. God created everything that we would ever need and God was not responding to our needs. God anticipated our needs and we were responding to his abundant supply. The the scriptural terminology for that is that they just responded to the grace, the provision that he had already made before. And over in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that there is a Sabbath rest. It likens this to what the scripture was talking about when it talked about that God rested on the seventh day. Let me turn over here to the book of Colossians and share this passage with you. If you can... You ought to read this out of, out of your Bible because some of you will think that this couldn't be in the Bible. This is going to be so contradictory to things that you've thought. So it would help you to be able to see this in Scripture. But in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Man, those are radical statements. Some of you may think, well, what's so radical about that? There's five things listed in verse 16. One of them here is talking about the Sabbath day, and it says it's a shadow of something that is to come, but the body is of Christ. In other words, this was a picture, a shadow of a New Testament reality, and I believe it's what Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about, the Sabbath rest, where you enter into a place to where you are no longer obsessing, worrying, trying to force God to do something, but you are believing that by grace, God has already provided everything, and you're just resting in that, and you're putting faith in what He's already done instead of taking the burden and the responsibility to get God to do something. That's what the Sabbath was a picture of. That's what it's saying right here. It says that it was a shadow. You know, if you could imagine right now, imagine that there was a building or something in between you and me. You were standing on one side of this building and I'm standing on the other side. And you can't see me because of the building. But if there was a light behind me, if you could see my shadow, that shadow could be very important to you to let you know whether I'm walking towards you or whether I'm walking away from you, whether I'm standing still, whether I'm crouched down, whether I'm standing up, whether I'm carrying something or, you know, if you can't see me, but if you could see my shadow, well, then a shadow is very important. And in the Old Testament, before Jesus came and before we could see him, there were shadows about him. And about our relationship with him that were given in the Old Testament for the purpose of instruction. And they were timely and they were good at that time because Jesus hadn't come yet. We hadn't seen him. And the Old Testament Sabbath here was said to be a shadow of something to come. But the body, the actual fulfillment is in Christ. The Sabbath was just a shadow of something that is now a reality in the New Testament. And you know, again, if you could see my shadow, but you couldn't see me, it could be very beneficial. But if I walk around the corner, and now I'm in full view, and if you ran up and hugged my shadow, or grabbed my shadow, or tried to shake hands with my shadow, or talk to my shadow, we would think, what's wrong with you? I'm here, why are you talking to my shadow? If you can't see me, my shadow may be important to you, but once you can see me, why would you talk to my shadow? Likewise, now that Jesus has come, why are we still observing the Sabbath and all of these things that were only shadows of something that is now a reality in the New Testament? I can guarantee you that upset a lot of people all over the world because there are people that pride themselves on being Sabbath keepers because they observe some day of the week that they don't work and they devote it to God. And yet they are missing this Sabbath rest that the, Sabbath, the observance of the Sabbath day was a picture of in the Old Testament. They are now hugging the shadow when the full reality of Jesus is here and there's no need to do that. And I know that there's a lot of people don't like that. There's entire denominations that have been built upon the observance of a Sabbath. And yet in the New Testament, especially Hebrews chapter 4, we now have a Sabbath rest. It's talking about a relationship where you are not taking the burden of making God move and doing something so that God will respond to you, but instead you're resting in what God has already provided for you through grace. And there are multitudes of people that are observing a certain day and think that somehow or another they're a Sabbath keeper when the truth is they are a Sabbath breaker. They are not resting in God excuse me for my voice, they aren't trusting in what God has done. Instead, they are trusting their own effort and they're Sabbath breakers. That's amazing. Let me go back to Colossians chapter two and just amplify on this for a second. In verse 16, it says, don't let any man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. There are five things listed here and four of these five things The New Testament church has basically realized that they were pictures and shadows in the Old Testament, but they've now been fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. And the New Testament church doesn't even try and keep four out of these five things because they recognize that the new covenant changed the way things were done. Look at this. The first thing it says, don't let any man judge you in meat. This is talking about that there were certain animals certain um, meats that you could eat and there were others that were unacceptable. Pork is one of the main ones that people are aware of. You couldn't eat bacon, ham, things like that. Uh, There were also uh, shell animals. For instance, you couldn't eat shrimp. You couldn't eat anything that didn't have fins on it and scales. And so, uh, you know, snail, uh, shrimp, crab, any of those kind of things, those were forbidden IN THE OLD TESTAMENT. IN THE NEW TESTAMENT, LET ME JUST TURN OVER AND READ THIS TO YOU OUT OF FIRST TIMOTHY CHAPTER FOUR IN VERSE ONE IT SAYS, NOW THE SPIRIT SPEAKETH EXPRESSLY THAT IN THE LATTER TIMES SOME SHALL DEPART FROM THE FAITH GIVING HEED TO SEDUCING SPIRITS AND DOCTRINES OF DEVILS. WE ARE IN THE LAST TIMES AND BOY I GUARANTEE YOU THERE ARE SEDUCING SPIRITS AND DOCTRINES OF DEVILS OUT TODAY. WHAT ARE SOME OF THESE? In verse 2, it says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And here are some of these heresies. Forbidding to marry. You know, I didn't say this. I'm reading scripture to you. It is a doctrine of the devil to forbid like clergy to marry. There are certain churches that believe that the uh, priesthood has to be celibate, that you can't be married. How's that working? talk about all of the homosexuality, the abuse that's gone on because of this. It was never God's will. That is a doctrine of the devil is what this says. I know some people are going to think I'm mad at somebody and I'm trying to put down other groups. I'm reading scripture to you. This is what the Bible says. It's a doctrine of the devil to forbid to marry and to command to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. It is a doctrine of the devil to tell people that you can't eat pork. And yet, in the Old Testament, that was one of the commands, that you couldn't eat pork, you couldn't eat shellfish, you couldn't eat oysters, you couldn't eat things like that. There were dietary laws in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it is a doctrine of the devil if you try and enforce the Old Testament dietary laws. Again, there's gonna be people that get upset and say, I can't believe you said that. This is what the Bible is saying. It goes on to say in verse four, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So this includes pork, bacon, ham, things like this. It is a doctrine of the devil to tell people that you can't eat that. It is not to be refused. It is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And there's people that dislike that. There's a lot of vegans. There's a lot of people that do this. And of course, many of those people don't have a scriptural basis. But some people go back and try and take the Old Testament dietary laws and enforce them for New Testament believers, but it is not true. Every creature of God is to be received, and there is nothing wrong with that. Man, if you are one of those that just eats twigs and berries, I say that's not food. That's what food eats. Amen. Praise God. And uh, I'm not against anybody. I've got people on my staff. I've got good friends that are vegans and stuff, and that's fine if you do it because you choose to do it. But if you start preaching that somehow or another you aren't healthy if you eat meat and stuff, then... That is a doctrine of the devil. Nothing is to be refused. It's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now this doesn't mean that you just, you know, gorge out on it and don't use any balance in your diet. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that people who try and enforce Old Testament laws for us today about what you eat are violating Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. They're violating 1 Timothy chapter 4. Those are doctrines of the devil. Under the new covenant, nothing is to be refused. It's all sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And I know that there's lots of people watching that you are so passionate about this that it doesn't matter what these scriptures say. You've got your belief and you aren't going to let the Bible get in the way of what you believe. Well, then I can't really help you. But I'm telling you that if you believe the Bible, then those things were only a shadow of a New Testament reality. What it was shadowing is it says in the New Covenant that whatever you do in word or in deed, whatever you eat, do it all to the glory of God. And it was just, it just picked certain animals and said don't eat this so that you can remind yourself that you aren't free to just eat however you want to. You have to be responsible to God. I know that many people think that the Old Testament dietary laws were given because like uh, If you don't cook pork properly, you can get trichinosis. And so God gave these dietary laws for health reasons. There may have been a secondary purpose of these dietary laws. And the reason that certain animals were excluded was because of some, you know, tendency towards uh, trichinosis or some kind of a disease. That might have been a secondary thing, but the only time in Scripture that... The reason not to eat certain things was given is right here in Colossians chapter 2, and it says it was because it was a shadow of some New Testament thing. It wasn't because of the health benefit. And you will have Christians today still preaching and saying, you've got to eat certain things and reject other things because of these dietary laws, and they make a health thing out of it, and they aren't following the uh, prescription here in Colossians chapter 2 and 1st Timothy chapter 4 and they're violated and the Bible says that's a doctrine of devils. I know that that really offends some people to be that strong, but that's what Paul says. It's what the Bible says. It's a doctrine of the devil to sit there and say that you have to eat certain foods and reject other foods based on scripture. It's not true. It's a doctrine of the devil. Kosher food and stuff, it has all been done away with through the Lord Jesus, and today that was only a picture of something. Most people agree with that. Now, I'm talking about most Christians. Most Christians agree that we are free from those dietary laws. Most of you probably eat bacon, ham, uh, shrimp, uh, crab, or something like that. Those were all forbidden under the Old Testament law, and yet most Christians eat that today, and rightfully so, because we have been redeemed. That was only a picture Of something that was now a reality in the New Testament. The next thing it says, don't let them judge you in drink. Did you know that there were also certain dietary drinks? You couldn't drink certain things. Most people don't even know what those are, and so apparently they aren't bound by those, but there were Old Testament things about what you could and could not drink. The next thing it says, don't let them judge you in respect of a holy day. You know, in the Old Testament, there was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of uh, in gathering and, and Pentecost and all of these kind of things. And it was commanded that you had to observe these things. And if you didn't observe it, you had to be put to death. Did you know today that the New Testament church does not observe those things? Again, there's some segments in the church that will sit there and say, no, you are supposed to do it. And they're trying to still force Christians today to observe these feasts. But the scripture here says that those were only pictures The Passover was a picture of Jesus. It even talks about Jesus. Our Passover is sacrificed for us. The Passover meal was a picture of us being redeemed from our death through Jesus. And so we don't have to observe the picture, the shadow anymore, because we have the body of Christ. And so we don't have to observe all of these holy days, or it says, don't let them judge you about the new moon. How many of you know when the last new moon was? How many of you offered a blood sacrifice? There was a command to offer a blood sacrifice every new moon. How many of you did that? I bet that the majority of you didn't. You know why? Because that was Old Testament. It has now been fulfilled in Christ. We do not have to do that. So these first four things, most people would agree and say, no, that's changed under the new covenant. We don't have to worry about what we eat as far as meat and drink. We don't have to observe these uh, holy days or the new moon and the sacrifice that was commanded. But then when it comes to the next thing in this verse, the Sabbath day, there's still lots of Christians that sit there and labor under a guilt and under an obligation to withdraw from work one day a week. And in the... In the modern-day church, primarily, Sunday is set aside as the day that people honor the Sabbath. Did you know that Sunday isn't even the Sabbath? The Sabbath was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That is the Sabbath. That is the Old Testament Sabbath. And there is one denomination today who observes that Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And they call themselves Sabbath keepers. But all of these other things were were fulfilled in Christ. We don't have to worry about certain foods and holidays and all of these things. But then there's some people still preaching that you have to observe the Sabbath day. No, the Sabbath day is now a relationship that is described in Hebrews chapter 4 about this Sabbath rest. And some of the very people who are so strict about observing this Sabbath are the biggest Sabbath breakers because they believe that they are making themselves acceptable to God by observing a certain day, and yet they don't rest in the Lord. They aren't trusting in what, they, in what He's done. They are believing that God is responding to them based on their holiness and their observance, and they are the biggest Sabbath breakers that there is. Welcome to the AWM Minute, a
0: small glimpse on how your partnership with Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College is setting captives free around the world. Caroline Yeager reached the point that she would rather end her own life than try to meet the impossible religious demands her legalistic upbringing demanded of her. But Caroline's life changed when she discovered the free resources provided by Andrew Walmack Ministries where she was able to renew her mind in the truth of God's love and grace. So through Andrew's ministry in and the fact that you could get it any time of the day or night and it was free because uh, there again, my husband didn't give me any money. God opened my eyes in the fact that I could seek as a woman. I could seek and I could find. Today, Caroline's whole family has been freed of works-based religion thanks to the free teachings provided by our friends and
1: partners. To see Caroline's full grace encounter, visit awmi.net today. I WOULD REALLY LIKE TO ENCOURAGE YOU TO GET THIS TEACHING ON LIVING IN THE BALANCE OF GRACE AND FAITH. I THINK THIS REALLY JUST SUMMARIZES THE POSITION THAT GOD HAS GIVEN ME IN THE BODY OF CHRIST. IT SEEMS LIKE YOU HAVE PEOPLE THAT ARE EITHER INTO FAITH OR INTO GRACE, BUT VERY SELDOM ARE THE TWO COMBINED, AND THIS TEACHING WOULD TRANSFORM YOUR LIFE. I'VE GOT A BOOK IN ENGLISH. I'VE GOT ONE IN SPANISH. WE HAVE A STUDY GUIDE HERE THAT IS THE SAME MATERIAL. IT'S JUST REFORMATTED SO THAT YOU CAN DISCIPLE OTHER PEOPLE. YOU CAN PRINT OUT THE QUESTIONS IN HERE. AND THEN WE HAVE A CD SET OF THIS EXACT SAME TEACHING. AND THEN I HAVE TWO DIFFERENT DVDs TO OFFER YOU. ONE THAT WAS TAKEN FROM OUR TELEVISION PROGRAM AND THE OTHER ONE WAS TAKEN LIVE FROM ONE OF MY uh, MEETINGS THAT I'VE HELD. SO PLEASE LISTEN TO OUR ANNOUNCER, RESPOND TODAY, AND GET THIS MATERIAL ON LIVING IN THE BALANCE
0: OF GRACE AND FAITH. Andrew's teaching titled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith is available as a live teaching on either CD or DVD, or in a DVD set as seen on TV. You can also get this teaching as a book or study guide in either English or Spanish. Or you can get the Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith package, which includes your choice of either the CD or DVD album, the book, and the study guide, This package has a catalog value of $85, but you can get it today for only $60. Also, today's individual audio CD is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give, but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. You can order resources or become a Grace Partner through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download many free resources. Or call our helpline at 719-635-1111. If you'd like to write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of March, Andrew will be at the sanctuary in Woodland Park, Colorado, for the annual Karis Bible College Men's Advance with special guest Tony Dungy, NFL Hall of Fame and Super Bowl winning coach, and James Brown, Emmy Award-winning broadcaster on the CBS and NFL networks. Also at the sanctuary in March, Andrew will be hosting the Army Conference for Ministers with special guests, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Representative Bob McEwen, Dr. Barry Burns, and Barry Bennett. In April, Andrew will be back at the sanctuary in Woodland Park for the annual Karis Bible College Campus Days with Karis instructors Barry Bennett, Carrie Pickett, Greg Moore, Rick McFarland, Daniel Bennett, and Lawson Perdue, and also to host the new musical, David, the King of Jerusalem, a story of the faithfulness of God's grace in spite of struggle and tragedy. Also at the sanctuary in Woodland Park, Andrew will be hosting a special concert with John Tesh. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net.